MLB still are beating hearts. Baseball is back, and so is this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast, presented by Wintrust, exclusive home of Cubs Checking, featuring free ATMs nationwide. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Now, I'll be steering the ship here. They call me Cole Wright. I'll be joined by Tony Andraki, our Cubs reporter at Marquee Sports Network, and also our Cubs sideline reporter at Marquee Sports Network, Taylor McGregor. Tony, Taylor, great to have you guys on. And with baseball being back, I know there's a few things that I miss in particular. But Taylor, I'll start with you since you're here on the show. I talk with Tony here all the time. I'm just so happy that you're able to join us here today. Since baseball's been gone, what have you missed the most? Well, thanks for having me on. It's it's fun to be on here. You know, I'm not going to lie and say the things that I miss the most are not the just the camaraderie of being down there on the field, hanging out around the batting cage on a, you know, an afternoon game or an evening game. But that afternoon, um, that is the best part, I think, about what we get to do day in and day out, just the relationships that we build. Now, unfortunately, we know that's going to look a little bit different this year. And so I think I've kind of changed my excitement and things that I've miss um, to just the sheer aspect of watching baseball. You know, I mean, that is what we're going to enjoy here in a few weeks. And so I'm just so excited to have that back. And I think there's going to be a lot of excitement that comes with this different season that we're going to witness. And so I'm just so excited for that. How about you, Tony? What do you miss, man? I think it's just been Wrigley Field for me. I mean, growing up in this area and uh, spending so much time normally over the last few years at Wrigley throughout the summer and spring to not have been there yet this year or to have seen any baseball played. And and we're talking the end of June. It's been really weird. So uh, I think just to get back to Wrigley Field to see the Cubs work out there again in spring training uh, 2.0 as we're looking at starting next week and then to get to the point where we get games going and everything else it, it just it feels like all is right in the, with the world that when there's baseball going on at Wrigley Field once again. Tony how about this though you know with baseball being back at Wrigley Field we're going to see it at 1060 West Addison in a much different capacity string, spring training 2.0 will be at the friendly confines what's that going to be like for you, Taylor, and myself to be there and cover the team in this capacity in something that we've never seen before. Yeah, we're going to find out. I, there's going to be so much different. You know, I, I I keep thinking back to like covering the team at like a playoff workout at Wrigley Field between you know, like game three and four or two and three or whatever it was of like the NLCS or um, NLDS or World Series a couple years ago. Because that, that's what it feels like it's going to be. There's going to be 30 or 40 guys out there working out, obviously trying to social distance and keep in smaller groups. And um, I, I don't really know what kind of shape this all will take or, or exactly what it will all look like, too. I mean, it, it's new for everybody. It's going to be new for David Ross leading a workout at Wrigley Field uh, for almost a month, two or three weeks before we get up to the, the season starting. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah, Sloan Park, as we know, Taylor, it's one of the best in the business when it comes to spring training facilities. But if you have to pick a spring training, quote unquote, facility, I mean, it doesn't get any better than than Wrigley Field for the guys to mix things up in in July. I mean, it sounds crazy, but spring training in July, it's almost like Christmas in July. 
I know. I don't know who started to call it spring training 2.0 because I think summer camp at Wrigley Field <laughs> sounds like the coolest thing ever. But Cole, I could not agree with you more. And Tony, you mentioned it too. I mean, just the excitement of being back there at Wrigley. I don't care if there's no fans there. I think you're going to feel the energy of just the excitement of of the players to be back there and of everybody who is allowed in the stadium. I, I do believe we will still feel that energy. So I just can't wait uh, to get there and, and to get things rolling. Taylor, what do you think about that energy? Because, you know, we've heard word on the street is that Crane Kenny, you know, president of Cubs baseball operations, he said that there will be fans in the rooftops to start the season. And once the season unfolds just a little bit, we may see up to 20% fan attendance in Wrigley Field. So that would be roughly 8,000 fans. And then you have to add in all those fans on the rooftops. I mean, that gives the Cubs an ultimate advantage because there's no other stadium in Major League Baseball that boasts these same amenities. A hundred percent. And I just, when I heard him say that this morning, I was just picturing it, an empty Wrigley Field, but then the rooftops are just absolutely going crazy. And I think that fired me up um, more than anything so far. So I... I, again, how awesome that Wrigley Field is our home ballpark and we have that advantage because we know there's never a lack of energy at the rooftop, but I can only imagine because there's no fans in the stands within the stadium how much more energy all of those fans out there will bring. Tony, is there any chance that uh, we're going to see you know a, a game being broadcast on Marquee Sports Network and they're going to show all the fans up there in the rooftops and Hey, oh, by the way, Tony Andracchi's off today. Is that Tony <laughs> up there with a the Miller Lite or an old style on top of the roof? Is that you, Tony? Yeah, I'm going to do the pull the Theo Epstein and put on like a fake mustache and then like <laughs> hat or something to try to disguise like Bobby him. Valentine with the Mets. Bobby Valentine, yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I want to go out there. Hopefully they'll allow me at least to do something over there. I'll, you know, be socially distant, wear my mask, but maybe during a game going over there and trying to bring that energy onto television as best as we possibly can. Now, Taylor, I want to see if, if maybe we can get this one and see if this has some wheels, some traction on it. Maybe I can put on a Cubs uniform and I can filter around because, you know, there's going to be a taxi squad. Every guy <laughs> on the team is not going to know every other guy. So if I'm out there, you know, shagging some ground balls, maybe I get to take a little batting practice. Some guys will be looking at each other confused like, who, who's this old looking dude out here that is, is he on the team? What, maybe we could try to do that. Just like, you know, we've seen other people, you know, like when Greg Maddox threw batting practice to Chris Bryant and Chris is like, what, why does this custodian at this uh, spring training facility have such a nasty changeup? I know that that is one of my favorite, especially because he had just pranked. I think it was Mesa Community College's baseball team. Um, yeah. That was so fitting. But Cole, I guess my biggest question to you is, did you stay in as good of shape as you were at during spring training? Because I can't sit here and tell you I didn't pick up a little bit of the COVID-19 um, body shape. <laughs> I didn't get a workout like I usually do. So if you're in the shape you were in spring training, I think you could fit in. But, you know, if you if you laid off it a little bit during this quarantine, I'm not so sure. There's no give up. There's been no <laughs> let up. You know, I, the, the, I, I like to call... I like to call our my garage. I've transformed that into the the fitness laboratory. My, oh. my daughter, my wife, and I we've all been been getting after it out there. We've you know we've had the the, the bow screen out for her. She's been taking hacks off the tee. She gets her 
She gets her catcher's drills in. She's been following Paige Halstead, who was a former catcher at UCLA. She, you know, does some correspondence with her. You know, she's, she's a professional catcher right now. So we, we've been getting after it. Like Len Casper said, he was just trying to come out of this, this, this quarantine breaking even. So he, <laughs> exactly. he went into it at one weight. He wants to come out at the exact same weight. I think I'm about two pounds over right now, but I like to credit that to being able to go to Home Depot and find one of those scaffolds, which is doubled as a bench press. So I'm just saying I've been adding a lot of lean muscle. That's why wow. I have uh, See, we don't all pounds. have the luxury but of the garage It's really not gym. lean muscle. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's true. That's true. Not, not everyone has that. But if you just pull the car out and make a little extra room, jumping jacks, free squats, you know, some push-ups, it'll whip you right into shape. Isn't that right, Tony? That's what you've been doing, right? In, in your strength lab? Yeah, yeah. In my like 900 square foot apartment, it's been uh, it's been great. <laughs> Honestly, I just take the dog. He's like about 50 pounds, and I just try to bench press or curl him, and I think that's been working so far. <laughs> nice. Well, whatever works, that's what you got to do. You know, I went to actually a a, a pre prepared meal place the other day, and the, the the lady that was working there, she was telling me like, yeah, I've been getting after, it. and she was yoked, but she's like, yeah, I've been getting after. It. You know, I have a squat rack. Oh, by the way, in my living room. And I was what? like, that, that might be a little too much. I don't know if I you know, want to trip over the remote control and then you know, go face first and do a squat rack. But you know, whatever works. People are getting everything done this year, and it's, it's been a little bit out of the norm. But, Taylor, like I'm sure you would agree, everyone trying to stay physically fit is just like this 2020 season. It's a different beast. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I think when we talk about guys staying in shape, we saw what the compound did, their group workouts every day. We know that the Cubs had an app that allowed their players to kind of have um, workouts that they could stick to. We saw Anthony Rizzo, some of the photos of him and how he, I think it's 25 pounds being reported that he's shedded. So there's definitely people who got after it. And you know what? Props to them because it is so hard to get creative and not everybody has the access to garage gyms like we talked about. And so for people to kind of adjust on the fly and make it work, uh, props to everybody. And I, I'm excited to get to spring training and see how many people are in the quote unquote best shape of their life. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to see how many guys have a jump rope and will travel because we we all know, Tony, that if you have a jump rope, then anything is possible. But, you know, when it comes to the possibility of the rules this year, they're going to be a little bit out of the realm of what we're used to seeing. I mean, there's a universal DH. So we have that. We have the, the international rule when it goes to extra innings. There's going to be a runner on second base to start the frame. So that's going to be a, a little bit of a different animal for pitchers. I mean, if you're a, a reliever and you come on in the 10th inning and you're used to having a clean inning, nobody on base, and now you, you instantly inherit that guy on second, it makes things a little different as far as your approach is concerned, Tony. Yeah, it does for sure. But I think uh, with the the way strikeouts have increased – during the game, throughout the game, the last couple of years, I think that's really going to come into play too. And it's going to be a part of managers' mindsets and thoughts as they enter uh, the 10th inning or 11th or whatever. Maybe they want to bring in their strikeout guy or especially a guy who they feel very confident can strike out the next hitter or two coming up to try to keep that guy at second base starting off. So there is a lot more strategy that will come about because of that rule in particular. And then, you know, like you mentioned with the DH as well, it, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Ross in particular, but every manager in the National League handles both of these kinds of things. Taylor, I'll get to you in a second, but I want to stick with Tony right here because you, you talk about Tony strikeouts being up. Now, is that just a byproduct of guys maybe just not being as clutch of hitters, not having as great a vision, or is it 
a product of the launch angle generation. We see these guys, everyone wants to swing up and get the ball in the air. So hopefully they can get it over the fence as opposed to just having a nice level swing, squaring the ball up, and then that backspin will carry it over the fence. I mean, when it comes to strikeouts, we, we have seen more. But like I said, it, is that a byproduct of may, maybe less disciplined hitters? Because we see so many guys that have the, the shift implemented on them. And what do they do? They just hit it right into that shift. They don't say, hey, I'm a baseball player. I get paid millions of dollars to play this game. Let me just go the other way real quick. Yeah, I think it's a lot based off of mindset for sure. Um, home runs are, are huge. And as you mentioned, launch angle revolution, trying to trying to just get the ball into the air and hit it with authority. It, it does lead to a bit more propensity for strikeouts. But I think there's the other aspect of it too is just the way teams are approaching the pitching and uh, you know trying to limit runs, that whole aspect, because guys are throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour regularly. There are multiple guys yeah. in every bullpen doing that. And it, you know, as we know, when we were all growing up, that just wasn't the case. Even five years ago, that wasn't the case. And then the way that everybody uses bullpens and brings guys out in the sixth or seventh inning and matches up differently. You're not facing a guy throwing his 120th pitch often anymore. You're, th you're facing a guy throwing his, his second pitch or his 10th pitch, and he's able to dial it, up, dial it up to a triple digit. So I think that's a big factor too, but yeah, I, I do think the mindset, the, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of slug in the air, as they always say. So trying to hit the ball in the air hard on the line or hard, uh, hard fly ball, that does lead to some swing and miss. So I think all of those, everything put together has led to more strikeouts. Absolutely. And uh, the only guys that threw triple digits back when I was coming up, you saw Nolan Ryan. I mean, he would really light up the radar gun. And then Mark Wohlers on the Braves back in the day. I mean, he was one of those gas masters that we saw every time out on the mound. Now, in addition to some other rules this year, the, the DH, that's going to be in place for only 2020. We thought it was going to be around for 2021, but that hasn't been the case. So when it comes to National League teams swinging away with the designated hitter, Taylor, I mean, who, who do you think on the Cubs is really going to get the bulk of that responsibility? Well, I think the natural fit we've been talking about it is Kyle Schwarber. This is a guy whose bat fits perfectly in that position. And, and I think when you look at the depth that the Cubs have in the outfield and people who like an Ian Miller, I think who could even be a plus defender out there with, with his speed and what we've seen out of him, he would be perfect to slide in there defensively. So I think he's the natural fit, but I do think there could be a rotation of guys who we could see in that role. We mentioned the Ian Miller, potentially he gets some play in the defense or on the defensive side of the ball, but then you have Al Mora and Ian Happ, who both had really, really strong springs. And if they continue that and you want both of their bats in the lineup, then maybe you slide one of them into the DH role. And of course, you can always use it to give a guy a half day off, if you will. Let's say a Chris Bryant, you want to give him a break from playing defense one day, but you still want his bat in the lineup. He's another guy who could fit in there. So I think it could be an accumulation of a bunch of different roles, but I would I would be lying to say I didn't think that Kyle Schwarber fits probably the best in that mold. Yeah, Kyle Schwarber seems to be that square peg in that square hole right about now. But like you mentioned, Miller, Almora Jr., Ian Happ, all guys who could fill in that role. Tony, what about a cat like Victor Caratini? Because I mean, when, when guys have the day off, I mean, it seems as if, like Taylor mentioned, it could be rotational. One day, Chris Bryant, you want the day in the field off? Okay, you get the DH. Kyle Schwarber, you're the DH the next day. Vic Caratini, now it's your turn. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I, th- I think for sure that it could be one of the two catchers. If, like you mentioned, Wilson getting a day off, you still keep his bat in the lineup and he doesn't have to go undergo the grind of catching every single day then. But Caratini is a, a great option too as a switch hitter. And we really saw him come around from the right side of the plate last year as well. And and overall, he had a, a breakout season offensively. But yeah, then when you talk about these two guys and then the fact that Josh Fegley, you have a, a major league ready guy with a lot of veteran experience that could also be on the roster, especially when the roster is 30 to start this MLB season. I, I think Fegley's a no-brainer to have on there. And if you have both Contreras and Caratini in a lineup a couple of days a week with one of them playing DH, you still have Fegley on the bench. So I I think this makes a ton of sense. And like Taylor was saying too, it there are so many different options. You can get Ian Happ's bat in there. You can get Steven Souza Jr., who missed all of last year with a knee injury. You can work him kind of up to speed by letting him DH a little bit. And then obviously Schwarber as well. So I'm really curious to see how this plays out. All right, gang, you know, we touched on some of the rules that will be implemented this year. The designated hitter in the National League, that's one of them. But uh, when it comes to extra innings, we talked about it. The runner starting on second base. They're taking a page out of the World Baseball Classics book, and it's an international rule. But, I mean, you have an automatic runner on second base, no outs. If you're a reliever, Taylor, in the past, like we said, you're used to going out there and getting that clean, that fresh inning. Now you're you're automatically out of the stretch. If you're a wind-up guy, that's not really what you're used to doing, and it kind of throws your preparation off just a taste. Yeah, maybe. But I do think they're also, as a reliever, you're way more likely to come into an inning where there is a runner on base than, say, a starting pitcher. So I would say they're not totally unfamiliar with it. Um, you know, maybe the closer role, obviously, because they come into a, to a clean inning. But I would still say a lot of the guys out of the pen have experience. But, you know, I love this rule. I know there's people who can't stand it. They think it's silly. But to me, it creates anticipation that something's going to happen. And that's always good, I think. And this is a year where you want to try everything, see what sticks. And to me, it could create, I know Tony mentioned this, but we always talk about cutting down on strikeouts. Well, now let's see the small ball put into play here. You got, you have a runner on second, get creative, just get the ball into play. Quit trying to swing for the fences. Like we see happen so often in extra innings, guys get up there, try to do too much. And it just seems to compile the amount of extra innings that, that we keep playing. And I think when you add that runner on second, it forces you to be creative in driving in a run. And that's the part about baseball that we love to see. So I'm excited about this. I think it's going to be really good. Um, And I, I appreciate the fact that they're willing to try this. um, But I also hope that the game has humility enough to say, if this doesn't work, that, okay, we tried it and it doesn't work and, and let's move on from it. Because sometimes I feel like when we try something, we almost feel like we have to make it stick. Um, but I hope that if it doesn't work, they they recognize that and they and they don't keep it in the future. But I'm glad they're trying it out for right now. Taylor, I like where your head's at talking about, you know, in the 10th inning, when extras roll around, a guy on second base, why not incorporate a little more small ball. If you're that leadoff hitter with no outs, if you lay down, you know, a push bunt to first base and you advance that runner to third just like that, you're in business. Runner on third, one out, and that's exactly where you want to be. But Tony, when it comes to pitchers being out there in the stretch from the very beginning of the 10th inning, what is it? Why do pitchers feel more comfortable sometimes, especially relievers, 
pitching out of the windup as opposed to the stretch when more times than not, you're going to have to pitch out of the stretch more times than you would out of the windup anyways. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think it might just be a feel thing, like the mental aspect of, hey, I'm starting an inning, so I, there shouldn't be anybody on base, so I should go from the windup, and you feel like you get a little bit more torque behind it or momentum and, and throw harder. I, I don't know. I mean, you don't throw any harder from out of the windup than the stretch, and if you do, it's it's so minimal that it doesn't even really matter. So it, it is interesting, I, and I do think, like you guys have both said, and I, the mental aspect of it, of the reliever coming on with a guy already in scoring position, the potential for a bunt and the small ball, like Taylor mentioned, that is a really fascinating aspect of this rule. And, you know, it almost seems like it's going to be a, a manufactured intensity when it comes to, you know, the reliever or the closer, whoever comes in, because it's not like that guy, you know, smoked a leadoff double off you. He's been placed there automatically. So all that fire that you have within, okay, I just let this guy reach second base. There's no outs. Time for me to buckle down. That's not going to be there like we've seen in years past, Taylor. Like I said, it, it may be manufactured. These guys are going to have to give themselves a pep talk as they walk out to the bump there and say, all right, I've got a guy on second base. It's not really of my doing. And if he scores, does it even go against that guy's ERA? I mean, how are we going to categorize that? And how are we going to file that when it comes to those runs scoring even? That's such a good point. And I was reading an article in The Athletic that I'm sure you guys probably saw how a guy could throw a perfect game and still lose the ball game. And that, to me, kind of stopped me in my tracks and was like, whoa, that is pretty crazy. It happened in the minor leagues a few years ago. So I'm not sure the way that that's all going to work out. I think that's a question um, that we'll all find out, but but it's a good one. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Will we still call it perfect game, Tony? Or maybe we're going to take a page out of Mortal Kombat's book and just call it a flawless victory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the closer will just be like the guy that finishes him instead. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they'll start things off throwing balls of fire like Liu Kang back in the day. But either way, you know, let's get to a few quick hits, guys, when it comes to this 2020 season because it's right around the corner. Wednesday, as we know, all the teams will converge on their respective spring training sites. The Cubs, they will be all settled in at Wrigley Field and things are going to get rolling. So, you know, when it comes to this shutdown, as we know, it, it, it all came to fruition on March 12th. Taylor, I'll start with you. Do you think there's any Cubs player that's benefited the most by things taking a backseat? Well, you know, I think the Cubs are lucky that they hadn't had any notable injuries so far. Big time ones where, you know, a guy was going to have to sit out for a significant amount of time and, and it was going to really impact their lineup. So I couldn't think of any guy that was an obvious answer. I think this question is kind of we'll wait and see. But so far, I'm going to have to go with Anthony Rizzo. He should 25 pounds getting his butt kicked down there. And Fort Lauderdale, I think, is where he quarantined. So maybe it was him. You know, he took this time to really, really get his body in shape. And I know I use the cliche line, best shape of his life. But seriously, he might be in the best shape of his life. Yeah, you know, it was brutal, though, because uh, Anthony, you know, he, he put it on social media. He showed him getting after it, you know, when it came to getting his runs in. And he was he was shirtless. He was looking like a prize fighter. And then Theo <laughs> Epstein, he came on Cubs 360 and, and clowned Anthony and said he still had a gut. Kudos for losing the 25 pounds. Uh, you do look great, but you're, you're the only guy in America who, who could lose 25 pounds, get in great shape and still have handlebars and a gut. What, what's, with, what's with that? It's just, that's genet genetics or something. Clean it up a little bit. I mean, talk about confidence going from high to low. It just 
you know, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, the span of one Cubs 360 episode. I mean, <laughs> Theo, he wasn't pulling any punches over there, Tony. <laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't. It was it was pretty funny for sure. Um, and I mean, that just goes to show the relationship that these guys have had and working eight, nine years together as well. So yeah, it is great. But honestly, like you said too, Taylor, I, I am looking really forward. I forgot about the whole best shape, best shape of life <laughs> aspect of, of spring trainings. And now with spring training 2.0, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of that. Yeah, I, I want to see uh, Mr. Rizzo and Theo running poles at Wrigley Field with their shirts off. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll try to maybe have like a, a, a gigolo meter and see whose gut is in better shape when it comes to that. I don't know if Theo will be on board. I don't know if Anthony will be on board. But either way, it's, it's at least a fun top of the conversation here on this uh, Cubs podcast. Now, when it comes to a Cubs MVP, Tony, I'm going to start with you because it's, it's going to be a sprint. We always know that the, the age-old phrase goes, baseball season – it's a marathon, not a sprint, but this year, I don't know if it's necessarily a sprint. Maybe it's more along the lines of, of a 1,600-meter race, but e- either way, is there is there any guy that jumps off the page to you that could be the MVP this season? Yeah, I mean, I think there are obviously a lot of good answers with the fact that you have the big three of Rizzo, Bryant, Javi, but to me, I think Kyle Schwarber is a guy to look at here because of the way he finished the second half of last season. And he was There was so much made about how amazing Nicholas Castellanos was after he came over in the midseason trade, but Schwarber posted very, very similar numbers in the last two, two and a half months of the season. So I think Schwarber really found something, and I think he can carry that over into this season as well, whether he is spending a little bit of time at DH, like we mentioned, or playing left field. But he's a, he's a little bit of an um, an underrated guy that I think could actually become the MVP of the Cubs in a shortened season. Yeah, even though Kyle Schwarber is a alum of Indiana University, he was out there channeling his inner LSU fighting tiger, playing a little gorilla ball in the second <laughs> half of last season. It's like he was swinging a guitar every time he went out there in the batter's box. Taylor, how about you? Who will be the Cubs MVP in this uh, 60 game season? What do you think? Well, I think Kyle Schwarber was a great pick. And obviously you have the, the big three who can always contend for not only an MVP of the Cubs, but really an MVP of the national league. I'm going to go a little bit on a whim here and say Ian Happ, because I think with this 60 game season, any guy who goes through a hot stretch of let's say even a month, which can ha- we've seen that happen. His season stats are going to be significantly inflated. And we saw Ian Happ finish super strong. The nat- He's really the reigning National League Player of the Week because he was the last guy to get it in 2019. <laughs> and then he had a phenomenal spring training. And so I think if he carries that into this season, and let's say he, ba- he hits like he did at spring training over the course of three weeks, well, three weeks, is huge in a 60-game season. So he could really be a player for this Cubs team. Um, And I'm I'm excited to see what what it looks like for him. So he's kind of my sleeper MVP of the Cubs in 2020. Well, I I, no one asked me about my Cubs MVP candidate, but I'm going to throw it in there anyways. I'm going to have to go with the guy who has an MVP already on his trophy case shelf. That's Chris Bryant, because if if Chris Bryant could get started – quick who knows I mean the sky is the limit that guy is as dangerous as they come and we've seen all the accolades that have come his way especially since he started college golden spikes rookie of the year MVP world series champion so I think maybe another MVP wouldn't be completely out of the question in major league baseball let alone 
as the Cubs MVP. But uh, Taylor, I'm going to go to the Hill on this one. When it comes to the Cy Young in 2020, I know we saw you Darvish out there. He's working on a split finger that may be the ninth pitch in his current repertoire. But either way, <laughs> he's filthy. I'm going to throw him out there for the Cubs Cy Young. Who do you have? Oh, uh, yeah, there's that's exactly who I was going to go with. I always I mean, you look at John Lester, he could potentially be that you look at Kyle Hendricks, he could be that and I am such a huge Kyle Hendricks fan because I I wish more guys in our game had elite change ups because it's you can see movement, but it's so much harder to see the change in velocity. And so he's a he's a player, but have you seen that video of you, Darvish's splitter? I mean, come on. That's no. not even fair. So right now I'm going to go with him. And and the thing is, is that just adds to a repertoire of already nasty stuff. And so um, he's going to be, I really think, a serious player for, for Cy Young of potentially the National League in 2020. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, when you say that you wish a lot of other pitchers had you know, change-ups like Kyle Hendricks, I think a lot of other pitchers are of the same mindset because uh, at the end of the day, that's the toughest pitch to throw with command in all of Major League Baseball. And that's why we see so many guys who have success, they have that lockdown, that shutdown, that knee-buckling change piece. And uh, we're going to see that from Kyle Hendricks this year. We're going to see that filthy splitter from you, Darvish. Tony, who do you think the Cubs Cy Young Award winner will be this year, 2020, man? I think you just mentioned it there with Hendricks. It, Darvish is a great choice, too, for the same logic that I was thinking Schwarber could be MVP. Coming off a hot end of the 2019 season, you know, Darvish had his his pinpoint control and was barely walking anybody. But Hendricks, it, he's always a guy that struggled a little bit the last couple of years in, in April and May. But he's really, really turned it on in the middle of the summer and, and gone forward with that. If he can find a way to not have a slow start to the season like he's had before and find that like middle of the summer type of juju that he's had in the past. I think that that that's exactly what Hendricks can be. He can be their ace. He can be a guy that, that posts, you know, a two five ERA or maybe even lower in a shortened span like this. And we're talking maybe about 12 starts that he, that each pitcher is going to get. So I absolutely think that Hendricks is a great option. Lester is Darvish. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I wouldn't bet against the professor in a shortened season. Yeah. When it comes to Kyle Hendricks going out there and being able to deal, it's a lot easier to be precise when you're in the middle of July, as opposed to the middle of April and you have winds blowing sideways and, and flurries mixed with sleet, snow, whatever you want to think about, because that's how things can change in a moment's notice at Wrigley field. So Kyle Hendricks, it's going to be interesting to see him pitch with that warm sunshine beaming down on him now guys I have kind of a double barrel question right here the first run for the Cubs in 2020 and the first home run for the Cubs I, I think that's one and the same when it comes to the answer and I think that goes back to the MVP for the season at least for me I'm gonna go Chris Bryant I'm gonna go Chris Bryant leadoff home run in game number one in the leadoff spot Taylor, I'll let you follow. What do you got? I don't you know, know if I stole your answer or not no I <laughs> actually I had thought about that how epic that would be I just think if if the opening of the season for the Cubs is at Wrigley, how incredible that would be. You lead off 2020 with a home run by Chris Bryant. It's been the big story that he's a leadoff hitter this season. That would be phenomenal. I'm going to go with him definitely scoring the first run, but I think for the first homer of the season, 
I'm going to go with the guy who hit the first homer of the, the season at spring training, and that was Wilson Contreras. I loved Ooh. how there was a little bit of trash talk between him and, and all the catchers saying to the position players, like, hey, wait a second. Why are the catchers the ones hitting all the homers? Because there was three consecutive games where a catcher hit a homer at spring training, and I loved that narrative. It was funny. So I'm going to cheer on Wilson Contreras to just keep it going and encourage his teammates to do the same. Um, he, he's the first guy who goes yard for me in 2020. All right, Tony, who scores the first run this season and who hits the first bomb for the Cubs this year? So I'm going to say because it is such an unconventional season, I think the first run of the Cubs 2020 campaign is scored by Javi Baez stealing home. And then I think Kyle Schwarber hits a home run immediately following because the Cubs are all jacked up. That's my prediction. I love it. Great. Wow. I got one for you. Have you guys ever been at a game where someone has stolen home? No. Yes. Yes, I have. Taylor, tell us all about it. Well, it was technically uh, in the park homer, but – because of the error, he stole home. Oh, so it wasn't like come, come I know, on, I know, I know. But it was count. it was it was scored what that it was scored that way that he that he stole home. What, but, did, he, what did he get a free ice cream sundae at the at the, the spot right next door for the little league home run too? Well, I mean, let me count. tell no. you what he got a fantastic story that we told during our broadcast. I don't know if that counts for anything, but it was so much fun to talk about. Um, and it was exciting. So I guess that was a cheap answer on my part, but I'll just claim it and say that I have seen it. Okay. All right. That's kind of a, <laughs> there's a, it's going to be an asterisk right there by your answer. <laughs> I, I was actually at Fenway park, Yankees, Red Sox sitting like five rows up from the Yankees dugout and Jacoby Ellsbury. Boom. Just like that. Stole home. My, my oh, in-laws nice. were in town, my brother-in-law, and we had rotating seats because I had, I was given some seats by the Red Sox. You know, I used to work for, for Nesson back in the day. So they gave me some seats and my wife and I tried to say like, you know what, we'll stay in, in the, the, the good seats, the last three innings and the Red Sox ended up winning. So we only got two and a half innings. So the joke was on us right there. But you know, in that game, Michael Bowden, Went to the same high school as me, right out in Aurora, Illinois. Uh, I saw him pitch against uh, against the Yankees, and he struck out Derek Jeter. So, I mean, if, if there was anything that came from that, it was seeing a former warrior and an alum of Obonzi Valley High School strike out Derek Jeter, Hall of Famer, the only Yankee with 3,000 hits, and also saw Jacoby Ellsbury steal home. And that was not just how it was scored in the book. It wasn't a Little League home run <laughs> in the Parker, Taylor. It was an actual straight steal of home plate. I, I want to get okay, Chris Antonacci, our, our researcher on that, to find out when actually the last straight steal of home plate was in Major League Baseball. But that's here nor there. Uh, Tony, how about this one? How about opening day starter? Who do you think is going to get the nod and get their name scrawled in there in pencil from David Ross in his uh, opening day and his opening game as skipper for the Northsiders? Yeah, good question. I, I mean, I think Lester would have been the – it's still a potential option. I mean, when we were talking in spring training 1.0, it was Ross had whittled it down to either Darvish or Hendricks. Now everything is thrown out the window. I don't know for sure if Lester's a part of the mix or not. Um, I, I think Darvish gets it because of the way he ended last year and uh, adding a split finger to his repertoire and everything else. I, I think Darvish does. And really also just because what he did at the end in the after an all-star break last year, he went to the Cubs and said, I want the ball for the first game coming out of the break, and I want to take it from there. And I think that kind of mindset he can carry over into the quote-unquote opening day 2020. Yeah, I would hope so. You know, I would like to see Kyle Hendricks just because whoever you open up against, you're going to see him a, a few games more right on the backside. You start off with Kyle Hendricks, you get guys 
nice and used to that fastball 87 88 89 and then you just you know you pick up the jugs a little bit and you know you have you darvish come in second absolutely just blow doors when it comes to throwing gas but uh i'm not out there making up anyone's lineup card i'm not david ross i'm just sitting here with with you two on this podcast talking about an opening day starter so it doesn't matter what i think taylor who do you think is going to be the opening day starter that's more important well, since we get to be second guessers and we don't have to be the first guesser, yeah. a.k.a. the manager, David Ross, I'm going to go with John Lester. I think um, – I agree with Tony. I think he would have been the, the opening day starter had the season progressed normally, and I think he's the natural fit. He's the leader on the staff, um, and to me, he just – he epitome he's the epitome of an opening day starter in terms of leadership and a guy who has earned it so that's who I'm choosing all right well there's that so let's keep the ball rolling if you guys don't mind because uh, we know that the the rosters are taking an unconventional approach we usually see rosters you know they, they start at one number and then they expand as the weeks and the months unfold but this year they're going to start at 30 then they're going to go down to 28 then to 26 so Tony, how about you? When it comes to an underrated player that you may want to keep a lot of focus on with this expanded 30-man roster, who are you setting your sights on? For me, I think it's Alec Mills because of the fact he can pitch as a reliever, throw in multiple innings, can even come in just for one inning if necessary, but also a guy that could be in the rotation. And depending on the the strength where everybody's at, the, you know, the arm strength and the stamina that all these pitchers – it's possible that Ross and the Cubs might decide to go with like a six-man rotation coming out of the gate. And if so, Mills might be the option joining Chatwood and and Quintana and all the other guys we mentioned in the rotation. So uh, I think Mills is a guy that can play a huge, huge role for the Cubs, getting a lot of big outs this year. How about you, Taylor? Anyone that's underrated, maybe that might fly under the radar that we really should keep our ears perked up for? Yeah, there's no doubt that I think – Anybody out of the pen is going to be incredibly crucial because I think we're going to see unconventional use of both starters and relievers this season. I really think you could see kind of a a, a tandem, if you will, when it comes to starting pitching, at least in the, the first part of the season. So I am going to go with Rex Brothers, and that is so out of left field. Um, but cool. he, at spring training, he was the guy who – his stuff has always been there, but he had trouble commanding it and controlling it. And, but when towards the end, you kind of saw him harness that a little bit. And so I think he could be a sneaky piece in, in the pen. I think Colin Ray, I mean, there's a lot of guys who might not have performed up to par during spring training, but I think the stuff is there and they could potentially once they harness everything um, be real players for the Cubs out of the, out of the pen. And that's going to be highlighted through, through spring training 2.0. Taylor, how about this? What do you think? How many guys that are usually, you know, long, short relievers, maybe even closers when David Ross says, Hey, I'm I'm looking for an opener. Anyone want to do that? How many hands are we going to see raised? And is there anyone in particular you think could jump off the page for that role? That's a good question. I have not even thought about the opener role. Um, I, I'm not sure who I would who I would put in there, and I don't know. Well, I don't know if you're like me. I'm I'm not a huge fan of the opener. I feel like if a guy goes out there, he starts the game, and he's rolling. 
Why, why take him out? See how much you can get out of him. If he's a guy who can go three, four, maybe five innings and, and chew some of that up, then why not? If, they, if they've done it before, why not just let them do it again? And that saves everybody in the mix. And then you have potentially another guy that you could use down the road, maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday that you might not have had that at, at your disposal at that point in the week. Yeah. And, and that, and that's, I think the main point that everybody in baseball makes, I remember when the Rays started to use the opener last year, there were some stats and ultimately why they chose that of the first three outs, by statistically measuring are the hardest to get in baseball. And so their theory was, okay, then let's put our best guy out there who's fresh for three innings. And then the guy can come, you know, a starter who's also good. There's no knock on the starter there, but he can come in and kind of build off of that. Um, I don't know if that makes a ton of sense because I, I do think numbers don't tell the full story. I'm kind of with you. I'm not a huge fan of the opener and, and there, there is something to mentally trying to close out a game. I think the, the last six, maybe even nine outs are the hardest because of the, the, the pressure of the game. And the numbers don't tell that full story. So I'm going down a rabbit hole here with the whole opener. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure who on the Cubs I would put in that role, but I'm not really a fan of it. Okay. But we could see it. I mean, I think we're going to see unconventional – pitching use this season okay like taylor like you touched on closers we all know they're a different breed you know they have a different way to prepare you know they're they're just different when it comes to pitchers in general but tony when, when it comes to openers like taylor said you know they, they want to get those first three outs out of the way because they're the hardest to get but then if you're a starter you still have to come in and oh by the way get your first three outs in the second inning so it's not like you take that off the table you still have to go in there and you still have to pitch yeah, and for guys like Lester, who has done this his entire career, 14, 15 years, he's not used to that. I mean, we all know the relief outing he had in Game 7 of the World Series, but that that's kind of extenuating circumstances. To be able to do something like that on a, on a daily basis or an every start basis, it, it's interesting. And I don't know how players are going to be able to do things like that. So uh, I, I don't see it happening with a veteran-laden staff like the Cubs. But then again, with this year where every conventional line of thinking that you could possibly uh, think of, it, it, you throw it out the window, maybe we will see a couple openers from from Ross and company this season. I, I really don't know. Yeah, conventional thinking, that, that that has gone well out of the window. It's been quite some time since we've even wrapped our heads around what a regular season will look like because 2020 will be anything but regular. And, you know, one of the rules that you know, or stipulations rather that it's getting thrown in the mix. There'll be no bat boys or bat girls this year. And someone that's already on the staff, they're going to have to, you know, shoulder the load when it comes to that. Do you think someone on the Cubs is going to do it? Maybe a, a, a team member and say, Hey, uh, Vic Caratini, today's your day. We want you to gather all the bats up, whatever you do, just don't have an explosion and throw them all over the field. Like Andre Dawson did once upon a time. You remember that one, Tony? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember that one. Um, yeah, no, it'll be – I think that's one of the most fun rules, to be honest, because I could see David Ross doing it on occasion, just get some energy out, run and grab the bat. I could see John Lester doing it on a day that he doesn't pitch. Um, I could just see the Cubs in general having a lot of fun with that. Taylor, how about you? Who do you think is going to be the bat boy or the bat girl when the situation calls for it? Okay, so I laughed when I read this question because <laughs> – I am a huge college baseball fan, and you guys, if you've watched the College World Series, there's been times where players will have to go 
get the bat and act as a bat boy. Well, I went to the University of Arkansas. I was friends with some of the players on the baseball team when I was in college who had to do that during the World Series. And it was so funny because some of them were so pissed off that they had to do that and were like, I couldn't believe that they made me do that. And some of them thought it was absolutely hilarious. They embraced the role. So the moral of the story is I think you have to have a guy who has a really good personality and is going to have fun with it. And to me, who better than Mike Napoli? I think that guy is nice. is hilarious. He's down for anything. He's a team player. And so he is like the perfect fit for me to somebody who's gonna who would embrace the role and have fun with it. Party at Napoli's. That's after he goes and, and gathers up all those uh, Maruchis and uh, Louisville Sluggers because that, that's what <laughs> he's going to do, according to Taylor. Taylor, now I know you are a, a, a Razorback alum. Uh SEC baseball, it's a different beast for those who have never been there and been able to watch it. Now, did Arkansas, did they have at, at their home park, did they have bat girls? Because I know LSU baseball, they have, a, they're in the, the, the program. You see them every single year. This is our list of bat girls and they change. It's rotational from game to game. Yeah. So um, you're actually setting me up here and I don't even know if you knew this. I was one of them. <laughs> I, that's what I, that's for that's what I was year. that's what I was digging yes. for. That's what yes. I was digging for. Okay. You caught me. So um yes, we called them diamond dolls, which is hilarious because if you know my personality, I'm not really a quote unquote diamond doll. That seems like very dancerish, and I always really prided myself on being more of an athlete. Not that dancers aren't athletes, but I just okay. was never one you're to dig, perform, you're digging a perform for a crowd. <laughs> so my point being. I did it for a year, wasn't really for me, and then I ended up just working um, in the athletic department, much more my speed. Um, but I did love being super close to the action. Uh, that's kind of the fun role about uh, being a field reporter, too. You're down there, you get to see things that nobody else sees, you hear uh, some of the talk in the dugout, and um, you're just super close to the action. So I did love that part about it, but I'm just, that wasn't, that, that wasn't as much for me, but we did have them. Okay, so uh, according to Taylor McGregor, dancers they they are athletes. athletes. They are. My um, sisters are both dancers. They're okay. they're great athletes, but I just don't have that showmanship, if you will. I know I'm on oh, television, okay. but not the okay. whole showmanship. You sounded kind of skeptical when it came to the athleticism of dancers. I was afraid that we were going to have Misty Copeland and Debbie Allen on line one taking yeah, exception. Yeah, my sisters are probably, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. Trust exactly. Me. Tony, how, how about you, man? You ever been a bat boy? You, you willing to fulfill those duties this year if need be? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think that'd be a good exercise, to be honest. Um, I, I don't think they would want me anywhere near that because I'm also kind of a klutz and I could see myself just tripping and maybe breaking a bat by dropping it or something like that. Um, but yeah, so I've never fulfilled those duties before and I am not a dancer or a good dancer at all. So I don't know that I have the necessary qualifications to do that. They'll be like, everyone will ask, well, what's wrong with Tony? Why is he on the Cubs pregame show wearing a sling? They're like, well, he... Took down the steps in the dugout at Wrigley Field. He was wearing metal spikes, and uh, he just couldn't catch himself. And after that, it was just a wrap. So, well, guys, it's been a fun time, as always. And one thing we do know that we are sure of is that 2020 will be a unique season in and of itself. And we're going to be here for each and every single step of the way, as we will be on Marquee Sports Network, bringing you the best when it comes to pre- and post-game coverage and all coverage all the way around as it pertains to our Chicago Cubs. So make a note because this has been the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. And don't forget to download and subscribe 
to the podcast on Apple and Spotify and do it today. And like we said, the season, well, it's getting ramped up July 1st. That is when spring training 2.0 starts, and I'll be there. Summer so we'll camp. Summer and Tony camp. And Drek. Say that again? I said summer camp. We need to change the narrative. I don't like spring summer, training 2.0. Summer camp at Wrigley oh, Field. That's yeah. what we're changing it to, yeah. according to Taylor McGregor. Tony Andraki and I, we will confer, and we'll get back to you the next time the Cubs Weekly Podcast reconvenes. Until then, we'll see you later. Have a good one, everybody.